I've called this talk Getting the Big Picture. Um, What's it all about? And it really is, I suppose, just like most of the talks that I give, it reflects a personal journey. Um, and, And coming to understand what are we doing, where are we going, what's happening, what's the direction that the church is going in, and what is God asking of us, and what is God asking of me. Yeah? Happy so far. And I'm aware then that what I'm going to say, I've got to gabble a bit, because in one sense, this could really be almost like a, almost like a, a, a teaching series, and I'm trying to do it all in one go. And so I'm going to be referring to what the Bible says, but I'm not going to be sort of chucking out too many references. Um, and it may be that if you want to take it further, then if you just sort of indicate at the end, um, I can leave a copy with the church office, uh, and you can ask them for a copy if you want. And it can be emailed out or posted out if you want it. It may be, of course, that you won't, well, after you've heard what I've got to say, but that's one of the risks that all preachers have. Right, so... This thing here is a Bible. Um, And what is it? Yeah, it's a Bible, but what's that? And I suppose for a lot of people they would say, somebody said it, Word of God. But what do you mean by that? Okay. And when people start talking about what they mean by the Word of God, um, they come up with a number of different ideas, and that's right. You know, some people see it in terms of it's an instruction manual. You know, God has given us this body, how do you steer this thing? How do you make it work? Um, this will give you some, some ideas. Do you need daily guidance? Well, I hope we're not at the stage of... But we do get guidance from this book, don't we? Um, Is it God's rule book? This shalt thou do. Well, yeah, that's in here as well. Is it a doctrinal source book? It tells us what to believe, what's right and what isn't. Well, yeah, that's in there as well somewhere. But the thing actually that's made the Bible come alive to me is probably none of those things. The thing that's really made the Bible come alive to me is the fact that it contains, and it is from beginning to end, a story. It's a development. It shows how God's plan and purpose has been developing from the creation, in fact even before the creation, right through to the time when God's purposes are finalised. There's a story going on, and it's that story that I want to try and tell. So you can see now why I'm saying I've got to gabble a bit, because, hey, how long would it take you to read that bit to that bit? Well, quite a long time, and I've got 20 minutes. Hey, and as the man said in an email, watch the time. (laughs) He knows me. So, here we go. What's the story? It begins with a world, doesn't it, that God has pronounced good. And it's a world in which people sinned, went their own way rather than kept to God's agenda. And that has set the pattern for our existence, for human existence. And not only that, but it's of an entire cosmos that's out of kilter with God's plan and purpose. 
And God sets in motion a plan to put it all back to rights again. And God uses human beings, and one human being in particular, as his key agents and agent in that process. Right at the beginning, I say right at the beginning, he chooses Abraham. And Abraham is the progenitor of a group of people and the person who will make it all happen. And you can find that in Genesis chapter 12. The person then who is going to be the one who makes it all happen is identified later on as a descendant of David, who was a king of that people. And you can see, you can see that kind of idea in 2 Samuel chapter 7. In Isaiah 53, we see the method by which that nation and that person will make it happen. What it will take to get that world back on track again. And that person is later identified in the book of Daniel, chapter 7, as one like a son of man who appears before the Ancient of Days and receives a kingdom that will fill the earth and last forever. That's the Old Testament done. How am I doing? And then comes Jesus, proclaiming that this kingdom is at hand. That's in Mark chapter 1. And he demonstrates by the miracles that he performs that it, what it will be like when that kingdom is fully established. He also teaches his hearers what would be expected of them if they considered themselves members of that kingdom. And the most famous example of that, I suppose, is the Sermon on the Mount. We've all heard of that, but... And they find that in Matthew chapter, or chapters 5 to 7. And in that sermon we find a prayer. And in that prayer we find these words, Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we'll come back to that one later on. The story goes on. Tragically, Jesus is not accepted by the powerful and the influential of his day. They see his actions and words as a threat to their position and power. They gang up on him, they arrest him, they turn him over to the Roman authorities and they coerce the Roman governor to order his crucifixion. And Jesus dies. A horrible, excruciatingly painful death. And that, they think, is that. Now let me just go back a bit, I want to retrack. Remember I said God chose Abraham to be the progenitor, that is the sort of ancestor, of the nation that would carry God's purposes forward. And those people are known variously as children of Israel, Israelites, Jews, the list goes on. But unfortunately Israel repeatedly failed to live up to its calling. The Bible records that as often as the people sinned, God called them back. And again and again the Old Testament prophets are issuing the call, return to me, come back to my ways. But the people don't listen. They fell into ever more sinful habits. And the land that God had given them was eventually taken away from them and they were driven into exile. But even then there was a promise from God. He would forgive their sin, he would bring them back. One of the most famous places where that promise is spelled out is in the section of Isaiah beginning chapter 40. Again, I should have to leave it to you to go back and sort of look at those things yourselves. But what is the purpose? 
for bringing them back into the land. It's that Israel would at last fulfil its great commission and be the means of God's earth being put back to rights. How is this promise going to be fulfilled? Back to Mark chapter 1 where it talks about this is the gospel of Jesus Christ and then it goes straight into Isaiah chapter 40 or a quote from Isaiah chapter 40. Jesus' mission is explained as God's great call for Israel to return from exile. But if we read on in the New Testament we find that there's a twist. Israel is not just the physical descendants of Abraham. Gentiles, non-Jews, have been grafted into the people. Read it for yourselves. You'll find it in Romans, Galatians, Ephesians and Colossians. That God's plan from the beginning was to bring together Jew and Gentile into one people. A holy nation, a royal priesthood. And you'll see that in Exodus chapter 19 and 1 Peter chapter 1. And notice how in each of those places... God's plan seems to be different. In chapter 19 of Exodus, he's talking just to the Jews. In 1 Peter chapter 1, that promise has been expanded. And God's expanded Israel is no longer promised, just a small parcel of land in the Middle East. It's now become the whole world. As I said earlier, Jesus comes to proclaim that the kingdom of God is near. And the king of that kingdom is revealed to be Jesus. How do we know? God didn't keep him dead. God raised him back to life again. The attempt to silence Jesus on the part of those who'd had him crucified failed. And Jesus is revealed for who he is, the Jesus that we know of today. And that's the core, isn't it, of our gospel proclamation. Acts chapter 2 verse 36 This Jesus whom you crucified, says Peter on the day of Pentecost God has made Lord and Christ Lord and Messiah His chosen one, the one who will bring his purposes about Paul preaching to the Athenians the people of Athens, Athenians Yeah that's right God has appointed a day where he will judge all people and as evidence of that he has appointed a man who from the dead that's our message Jesus is alive and of course the gospel doesn't stop there does it just as the message to the people who'd sinned in the Old Testament times was return to me, come back to my ways so the message that we bring is repent, turn around Go God's way. Hasn't changed, has it? And that's not all. In that initial sermon that was preached on the day of Pentecost, we're told that the next step is baptism. And baptism is not just a nice little ritual where we get wet. In the Greek, we're told that we are being baptised into Jesus. Now that's a sermon in itself. But the meaning of that that I want to bring out here is that if we're baptised into Jesus, then his mission becomes ours. And that's not all. 
God gives us his Holy Spirit, his very presence and power to enable us to carry out the mission of bearing witness to Jesus. And what does that mean? Let's just stop for a second, just sort of... Sorry, I need to stop anyway and catch breath. What does it mean to be a witness of Jesus? What does it mean to you? What does it mean, and this is where I come in really, what does it mean to me? What is God asking of me? Now I come from an evangelical tradition where all sorts of guilt tactics were used to try and sort of coerce you into telling people about Jesus. And somehow if you didn't tell at least one person a day about that Jesus uh, died for them, you were somehow a failure. And I suppose people who have got that idea are basing their actions and their kind of the way that they that, that they think on some pretty sound scriptural principles. Doesn't it say, for example, in Romans 10, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how will anyone call unless they have faith? And how will they have faith unless they've heard? And how can anyone hear unless somebody tells them? And didn't Jesus say to his disciples, after his resurrection and before his ascension, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation? Back to the story. When I read my Bible, although I read that, I read something else. Well, actually, I don't read something else. And this thing, when I realised it, actually came as a bit of a surprise to me. In the letters where Paul and other Christian leaders, Peter, John, quite high up in the church in their day, um, when they're in their letters teaching churches, ordinary Christians, if there is such a being as an ordinary Christian, um, about how to live out their faith, there's an almost complete absence of any instruction or exhortation about winning people to Christ. I'll pause for a minute for effect. The focus, instead, is on living lives that show that God has called us to a new life, a new type of living. And the hallmark of our new lifestyle is love. And the conclusion that I draw from that is that actually it's primarily our lives rather than our words that witness to the reality of the hope that's within us. Now, some people here will get a whiff of heresy and they'll want to ask me some questions. And they might say, are you saying we don't have to tell people about Jesus? And they'll give me their very stern look. And of course my response will be, don't be silly. Because if you're asking me that question, you haven't heard what I've already said. But, think about it from this point of view. The Bible talks about Christians as being the body of Christ. And what kind of a body is it that's just one big mouth? Somebody. somebody would become a nobody because there is no such thing as a body that's only mouth and nothing else. 
as the church then, if I can draw things together, we collectively have the responsibility to bear witness to Jesus, the meaning of his death and resurrection, and to the ongoing story that we're part of. But we've got different gifts. There are some people who are outgoing, evangelistic, I tell at least ten people a day about Jesus, that, that kind of person. And then there's other people. There's the shy, tentative type who just quietly goes about his or her business, hoping and trusting that somehow God is in it all. True? And there is no need to feel guilty if you're not a mouth. Now, some people accuse me of talking out the back of my head. But actually, the back of my head is not created to say anything. And some people would say that I'm talking out of some other orifice of my body, but we'll leave that one. (laughs) But they're not designed for that. Yeah? So do not judge yourselves on what somebody else is doing. Do not say, because God has said to that person, that's the kind of person you must be, and they're the types of things that you must do, do not think that therefore you have to be exactly the same. So what kind of person then am I being asked to be? Well, a good place to start might be The message that was shared in our midweek time together in the week just gone, if anybody made that, there was something that I thought was very significant shared, and it was a very short little internet clip lasting about two or three minutes. And I thought it was quite good. And it was based on the word bless. And there was a very short presentation that talked about, apologies to those who've already seen this, um, but it talked about how we can bless our neighbours. What is God asking of us? If collectively he's given us this responsibility to be proclaimers of the gospel, what, how does that fit with me as an individual? I don't know, actually. But this is it sounded to me like a good starting place. And you can see then that it's just a, a, something which is based on the word bless. And it talks about the centrality of prayer. It talks about listening to people. So that actually we find out where they're coming from. It talks about maybe eating with them. It talks about serving them. And it talks about, as opportunity arises, speak to them. Give them your testimony. But don't run away with the idea, this is some kind of rule now. I have to do these five things every day. No. I'm not saying that at all, and I don't think, Tim, I haven't actually asked him point blank, but I'm sure he would agree with me. This is not intended to be a rule, but it is suggested as maybe a spur to our thinking and our praying about how we individually and collectively can be salt and light to the people that we live and work among and how we can live the kind of life that causes others to ask, what is it about you guys? And 
And then, of course, when they do that, we have to answer their question, don't we? And as it says in Scripture, be prepared at all times to give an answer to those who ask you for the reason for the hope that's within you. So that's what we're doing. Meanwhile, back to the story, remember that prayer in the Sermon on the Mount? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. And the end of the story is it happens. It happens. Jesus returns. Those who have died, we're told, believing in Jesus, are resurrected. And those of us who are still alive are caught up with them to meet the Lord in the air, we're told. It sort of leaves you hanging, doesn't it, really? <laughs> Quite literally, it leaves you hanging. Then what? <laughs> John, in the final book of the Bible, describes it this way. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. And I heard a voice say, look, God has come to dwell with humans. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them and will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or weeping or pain anymore. And he said to me, write, because these words are faithful and true. It's a good story, isn't it? (laughs) What a fantastic story. It's called the Gospel. Good news. And that gospel, that story has a power to change hearts and lives. If I read my Bible correctly, that story has a power to change hearts and lives. Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Scripture tells us, doesn't it? Make every effort to live up to the calling that we've received and the hope that's within you. Sounds good? Let's do it. Let's go for it. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen.